Let's come before the Lord our God in prayer. First Corinthians 1, we'll read the verses 1 through 9. Our uh, scripture readings the, will, will be connected to the theme of discerning the true church of Christ, the marks of the church by which we recognize the church in this world. Uh, that's what brings these scripture readings together. First uh, Corinthians 1, verses 1 through 9. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you, because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in Him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So far from 1 Corinthians, we'll also turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2, verses 11 through 22. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that He might create in Himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the, through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So far from Ephesians, and then finally we'll turn to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy 3, 
beginning in verse 14 and reading through chapter 4, verse 16. First Timothy 3, verse 14. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of, good, and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness, For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift that you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. So far the reading of the Word of God. As we reflect on what we've read, let's sing together from Psalm 84. Every Sunday in the afternoon service, we turn to the confessions of this church to see what the Lord, or excuse me, what the Word of God teaches concerning uh, the doctrines of the Christian faith. Ordinarily, we find that in the Heidelberg Catechism, as we work our way through, uh, we are this week on Lord's Day 21 concerning the church, uh, and for that, we'll turn this week to the Belgic Confession, Articles 28 and 29. This is the confession of this church. We believe since this holy assembly and congregation is the assembly of the redeemed, and there is no salvation outside of it, that no one ought to withdraw from it, content to be by himself, no matter what his status or standing may be. But all and everyone are obliged to join it and unite with it, maintaining the unity of the church. They must submit themselves to its instruction and discipline, bend their necks under the yoke of Jesus Christ, 
and serve the edification of the brothers and sisters according to the talents which God has given them as members of the same body. To observe this more effectively, it is the duty of all believers, according to the word of God, to separate from those who do not belong to the church and to join this assembly wherever God has established it. They should do so even though the rulers and edicts of princes were against it and death or physical punishment might follow. All, therefore, who draw away from the church or fail to join it act contrary to the ordinance of God. Then Article 29 We believe that we ought to discern diligently and very carefully from the word of God what is the true church, for all sects which are in the world today claim for themselves the name of church. We are not speaking here of the hypocrites who are mixed in the church along with the good and yet are not part of the church, although they are outwardly in it. We are speaking of the body and the communion of the true church, which must be distinguished from all sects that call themselves the church. The true church is to be recognized by the following marks. It practices the pure preaching of the gospel. It maintains the pure administration of the sacraments as Christ instituted them. It exercises church discipline for correcting and punishing sins. In short, it governs itself according to the pure word of God, rejecting all things contrary to it and regarding Jesus Christ as the only head. Hereby the true church can certainly be known, and no one has the right to separate from it. Those who are of the church may be recognized by the marks of Christians. They believe in Jesus Christ, the only Savior, flee from sin and pursue righteousness, love the true God and their neighbor without turning to the right or left, and crucify their flesh and its works. Although great weakness remains in them, they fight against it by the Spirit all the days of their life. They appeal constantly to the blood, suffering, death, and obedience of Jesus Christ, in whom they have forgiveness of their sins through faith in Him. The false church assigns more authority to itself and its ordinances than to the Word of God. It does not want to submit itself to the yoke of Christ. It does not administer the sacraments as Christ commanded in His Word, but adds to them and subtracts from them as it pleases. It bases itself more on men than on Jesus Christ. It persecutes those who live holy lives according to the word of God and who rebuke the false church for its sins, greed, and idolatries. These two churches are easily recognized and distinguished from each other. So far, the reading of our confession. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, we're spending a second week on this confession in the Apostles' Creed uh, where we confess, I believe, a holy Catholic Christian church. Uh, Our focus last week was on on what does that actually mean? What do those words uh, mean? And and we especially considered what is the church? Uh, What do we confess to be true of the church? Uh, We saw especially that the church is the work of Jesus Christ. I tried to drive that point home. It is not the creation of man. It's the work of Christ. And we also saw that the church is one. There is one church. It is Catholic. Uh, That is, it is universal. 
Uh, and so even though it may be divided into many denominations, many federations, many places around the world, yet it remains one church, the Church of Christ. Uh, this week we want to build on that ground, that foundation that we've laid, uh, and look and ask the question, uh, how does one find that church? How does one discern that church? Out of all of the uh, institutions or assemblies that call themselves the church, how does one find the true church of Christ? Now, before we uh, open our Bibles to try and answer that question, we might want to consider a preliminary question, which is why? Why would one want to ask that question? Uh, Why would one need to discern the true church? Uh, Some might say, who cares? Let everyone just do their own thing. Uh, Why does it matter that we discern the true church? Well, the reason it matters is because within the church, we have fellowship with all those who belong to the church, uh, both with Christ and with our fellow believers. Uh, So those who are in the church are to be regarded as our brothers and our sisters. Uh, It's one of the the most basic Christian instincts uh, when one has has met Christ to, to then go find fellow believers and enjoy fellowship with them. We see this when the 3,000 are baptized uh, on Pentecost, the very first thing they do is they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. Uh, they immediately find one another and, and exist as the church together. Uh, this is also one of the uh, uh, commands of Christ, to, to fellowship with fellow Christians. The book of Hebrews says, do not give up meeting together uh, regularly. Well, where do you do that? Uh, with whom? That's the kind of question we want to address. It matters as well because there, uh, there are also uh, commands in Scripture to submit to the church, to su- submit to your leaders. And, and so there again, one, one would have to ask, well, who are they? Where do I find them? Uh, how can I obey this command unless I know uh, what the church is and where to find it? Uh, So, for us as Christians to obey these commands and to enjoy that kind of fellowship, we need to find a church. And in order to do that, we need to know what to look for. And that's what these uh, articles that we read in the Belgian Confession are uh, particularly aimed at. Find the church, and this is how you will find it. I should add, this is also important in our day, uh, as it was in the Reformation, because there are many groups, uh, sects, and false churches uh, that exclude, uh, exclude faithful churches from fellowship and consider themselves to, the ex- to, to have the exclusive title of church. Uh, and so we, as, as, as a church, we as Christians need to be able to answer that charge uh, where they say, you are not the church. Uh, we need to answer that on the basis of Scripture. Uh, By what grounds can a church claim for itself that title? Uh, Are we right to call ourselves a church of Christ uh, or or not? Uh, not, Those may not be pleasant questions to have to ask, but they are uh, important. That's part of the reality of life. There are false churches, uh, and and we have to discern uh, between them. 
Indeed, we, we find the same things in Scripture. The very first believers during the times of the apostles already had to struggle with this. Uh, the epistle of John, uh, 1 John, uh, makes reference to groups of schismatics who had left the church and claimed for themselves the title of true church, uh, leaving these believers behind. And the early believers had to wrestle with that. How do we know uh, whether they are the church or we are the church? These are important questions to, to ask. Uh, so because of those commands and because of those realities, we do have to ask uh, this question. Uh, now, in doing that, we need to also establish some terminology. Uh, there's a distinction that's often made. It's not uh, wrong, uh, but it can be used in a wrong sense between what is called the invisible church and the visible church. Now, that can be a biblical distinction if what you mean is there is a universal church throughout the world gathered in many different places uh, that is together one church. It's invisible in the sense that you can't see the whole church. Uh, that can be a biblical distinction and that would be contrasted with the visible church that is the local congregation. Uh, that, that can be a useful distinction. Uh, so, for example, when the Lord Jesus says, uh, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not withstand it, um, is he talking about a single congregation? No, he's talking about the whole church, what we would call the universal or invisible church. Uh, but then only a couple chapters later, when the Lord Jesus uh, says regarding discipline, if your brother sins uh, and refuses to listen to you and, and then to the witnesses you bring, then he says, go and tell it to the church. Now there, is he talking about the, the universal church throughout the world? No, he's talking about the local church. Uh, so, so that distinction can be helpful. Uh, but there is an unbiblical sense in which that distinction is often used, uh, which is uh, to say that the invisible church is the real deal. And that's the important thing, and the visible local church is not such a big deal. Uh, there are many self-described Christians uh, who, who say, yes, we're members of the invisible church. Uh, but no, we're not members of any particular local uh, visible church. Well, there is no such thing as, a, as an invisible church that's not made up of visible local congregations. Uh, one cannot be a member of the universal church if one is not a member of the local church. Uh, so uh, when, when Jesus says, tell it to the church, uh, again in that passage on, on discipline, uh, he's teaching us the local church matters. The local church matters. Uh, uh, when, he, when he says again in the same context, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. There too, he, he speaks of the, the weight uh, the eternal weight of decisions made by the local church. Uh, the local church matters. It is not as if Jesus only treats uh, this invisible, ethereal uh, reality. No, he cares for his local church uh, wherever uh, the church is established. Uh, likewise, when Scripture urges us, do not forsake the, the practice of assembling together. Uh, there too, Scripture reaffirms the importance of the local church. Uh, so, so one cannot be a member of the invisible church 
uh, in any meaningful sense unless one is a member of Christ Church established in a local congregation. Uh, now, that distinction does mean, of course, that the, the, the universal church, the invisible church, is larger than any one single local congregation or even federation of congregations. Uh, Christ uh, loves His church. Christ loves uh, the, the local churches as well as uh, all of them taken together, His one bride, uh, one Catholic church. Uh, so, so that distinction is, is good, provided it's used in a biblical sense. Uh, so, so then we, we come back to that question, if, if the local church matters, where does one find it? Uh, how, do, how do you know that one particular gathering belongs to that universal church and is not uh, something else? Uh, for that, as with everything else, we must turn to the Word of God. Our confession begins with that very phrase, we believe that we ought to discern diligently and very carefully from the Word of God what is the true church. So our question is, what does Christ teach? What do the Scriptures teach concerning the marks of the church? Uh, You can answer that on two levels. At the most basic level, there's only one mark of the church. And that is wherever the Spirit of Christ is. Uh, As the Lord Jesus says, wherever two or three are gathered in in my name, there I am among them. Uh, Wherever the Spirit of Christ is present, there the church uh, is. Uh, That's the the simplest mark of the church. But of course, it it won't necessarily help us in looking for a local church uh, because it, it bumps the question back. Okay, how do you find a church or discern a church where the Spirit of Christ is in fact present? Uh, To answer that, we need to look more carefully at the Word of God and what the Word of God teaches concerning the church. Uh, And our confession helps us identify three marks that Scripture itself teaches uh, concerning how to discern the church. Uh, The first of these is the faithful preaching of the Word. That shouldn't really uh, surprise us, uh, because as we saw last week, uh, the Word is what produces, what creates the church. Christ builds His church by His Word and Spirit. Uh, And so the first mark you should certainly look for is the Word of God. Uh, To use the language we saw last week from John 10, listen for the voice of the shepherd. If you can't hear the shepherd's voice, you're probably not among the shepherd's flock. Uh, We are a community that is created and sustained by the Word of God. So if you don't hear the voice of Christ, uh, whatever that body might be, it is not the church of Christ. Uh, On Acts 2, on the day of Pentecost, when the Apostle Peter preached the Word uh, and and 3,000 people were baptized, as I mentioned, their their immediate instinct uh, was uh, to devote themselves to the Apostles' teaching, to the Word. Uh, The church is defined and centered around the Word. Uh, One of the richest texts of Scripture that that fleshes this out uh, is the text we read from Ephesians 2. Uh, Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 19, the Apostle says, uh, speaking to this Gentile church, 
so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. That's uh, referring to the, that universal church. You are members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure uh, being joined together grows into a holy temple. Uh, what Paul says is the church is built on the foundation of the Word, uh, the apostles and the prophets, uh, with Christ Himself as the cornerstone. Uh, That means then the surest mark, the quickest way to find the church of Christ is look for the faithful preaching of the Word of Christ. Uh, Is the Word preached there? Is the Word obeyed there? Uh, Are the people there engaged in the Word, uh, those are the marks of Christ's church, the the surest uh, mark. There should be a deep love and reverence uh, for the Word. Uh, Christians, I hear this sometimes, Christians sometimes draw a distinction uh, between uh, Word churches and Spirit churches. Uh, Churches that are centered on the Word and those that are are centered on the Spirit. Uh, And it's a terribly false dilemma. Uh, Because what does the Spirit say? The Spirit says, go to the Word. Uh, The Spirit directs us to the Word. Uh, The Spirit and the Word always go together. It's the Spirit who inspired uh, the Word. Uh, It's the Spirit who accompanies the Word when the Word is preached. Now, it's possible, of course, for a church to technically have the Word in its possession and not live by it. Uh, but the problem there is not a, a, an excess of reverence for the Word. It's that they're disobeying uh, the Word. Uh, there's no such thing as a truly Word-centered church if it's, that, that's not also Spirit-centered. And no such thing as a Spirit-centered church that is not also centered on the Word. Uh, in the second and third chapters of, of Revelation, Christ, uh, the Lord Jesus, writes to several churches... Uh, And in some of those letters, he speaks of churches that are dead or dying. Uh, And his solution is not uh, stop focusing on the Word and and, and look for the Spirit. His solution is remember what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. Uh, The Spirit directs the church back to the Word. Uh, The church then is, is built on the Word, and the church is also the herald of the Word, the proclaimer of the Word, uh, the place where the Word of Christ will be heard. That's why the Apostle uh, Paul urges the young pastor Timothy uh, in in the text that we also read uh, to preach the Word. And he he comes back to that several times. This is your primary task. Preach the Word so that the shepherd's voice can be heard. That's not only how the church is built, That's how the church is sustained. Uh, That's the very life of the church. Uh, So Paul says to Timothy, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Uh, I'm not all that familiar with Greek archaeology, so perhaps someone knows better what, what, how the pillar and buttress uh, function. Uh, but obviously, together, they, they are there to support the whole structure. Uh, they are the, the uh, essential uh, 
the, the pillar by which the structure is held together and doesn't fall apart. Uh, and Paul describes the church as the pillar and buttress of the truth. Uh, if you want to find the truth, you will go to the church and there you will find it. Uh, the church defends and preserves and proclaims the word of God. Uh, the, the, the Lord Jesus used other metaphors as well, and these also point back to the centrality of the word. Uh, like when Jesus speaks of the church as a light on the hill. What's the light uh, that the church shines? It's the light of the word, the light of the gospel uh, that the church shines forth. Uh, or Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. How, how does the church uh, salt the earth? How does the church uh, give flavor to this world uh, by preaching and demonstrating and living the gospel? Uh, that's, the, the word is central uh, in the church. So there's our first and, and arguably most important mark. Uh, look, if you're looking for the church, listen for the Word. Uh, where the Word is, there the Spirit is. Where the Word is, there Christ is. And, and therefore, where the Word is, there also the church is. Uh, it's, it's the surest mark of the church. Now, in addition to this, our confession also mentions the sacraments. Uh, the sacraments are mentioned here uh, because the, the membership of the church and the worship of the church are centered around the sacraments. Uh, the, the sacrament of baptism uh, defines who is a member of the church. Uh, the sacrament of the Lord's Supper uh, defines the, the centerpiece of the worship of the church. Uh, by baptism, then, Christians are incorporated into the church, and in the Lord's Supper, the Christians enjoy communion with Christ, which is the very essence of the church. Uh, so when these things are found together with the Word, uh, the Word faithfully preached and the sacraments uh, administered as Christ commanded them, there you have the church of Christ. Uh, John Calvin, the great theologian uh, of the Reformation, said it this way, uh, where the preaching of the gospel is reverently heard and the sacraments are not neglected, there, for the time being, no deceitful or ambiguous form of the church is seen and no one is permitted to spurn its authority, nor flout its warnings, nor resist its counsels, nor make light of its chastisements, much less to desert it and break its unity. If the word is there and the sacraments are not being neglected, there is the church. Now, our confession adds one more mark as well, which is the practice of church discipline. The reason this is there is because the church, uh, given the definition we gave last week, the church is the gathering of believers, not the gathering of unbelievers. It's the gathering of sheep, not the gathering of goats. Now, this is not to say that there won't be hypocrites, there won't be unbelievers within the midst of the church. Uh, or, or, and, and that certainly doesn't mean that that somehow compromises the, the identity or reality of the church. Uh, that's just the way it is. There will always be hypocrites. There will always be unbelievers uh, within the church. Uh, scripture is very realistic about that. Uh, and, and that's why Christ commands the church to exercise discipline so that it might remain the church, so that it might remain a gathering of believers. 
the, the process of church discipline is laid out in detail in, in Matthew 18. We deal with that in another part of the catechism. Uh, so I won't uh, elaborate on that uh, in detail. Uh, but it, it should be mentioned then that the, the practice of discipline is essential to maintain the identity of a church. If it's not there, that identity will disappear. Now, even though uh, church discipline will never be exercised perfectly, what, what consistory is there that exercises church discipline perfectly, uh, yet the, the Reformed churches recognized uh, already at, at the time of the Reformation that if church discipline is not exercised at all, uh, then that church is not only disobedient to Christ, but it is in fact forfeiting its very identity. It's becoming a gathering of unbelievers. Uh, So these three marks then are laid down by our our confession as the primary marks by which you will discern, uh, by which you will find the church of Christ. Uh, Now several things should be said about these marks. Uh, In the first place, uh, we must remember that these marks are indicators of the one true mark. Uh, They are reflections of the one true mark, which our confessions also mention, which is obedience to Christ. That's what it boils down to. Uh, All these three marks are all about, is this church obedient to Christ? Uh, As our confession says, summarizing those marks, it says, In short, it governs itself according to the pure word of God, rejecting all things contrary to it, and regarding Jesus Christ as the only head. Now, obedience is the key, uh, and these marks are ways of measuring and examining that obedience. In the second place, we also want to recognize that these marks describe what the church ought to be, but not what any church is in perfection. Uh, When we speak of the pure preaching of the gospel as a mark of the church, uh, we are not suggesting that anything less than perfectly pure preaching uh, would cause that church to to surrender its identity as a church, uh, for then what church would ever be left? What minister is there that's not fraught with weakness? Uh, What pulpit is wholly pure in everything uh, that is preached? Uh, the church on earth uh, through history ha- has had diverse uh, seasons where it's gone through seasons of strength and seasons of weakness in which it did not therefore cease to be the church. Uh, and even the church in its best moments has still had blind spots, has still had weaknesses, uh, areas in which the church needed to grow in fully proclaiming uh, the word of God. Uh, When the Apostle Paul wrote to the churches, uh, his most common prayer for them was that they would grow in knowledge and maturity, which means, of course, that there is always room to grow in knowledge and maturity. Uh, And when we look back over the now 2,000 years of church history, uh, we recognize the church has often failed to understand and to teach and to apply uh, biblical truths. Now, oftentimes, worldly thinking, worldly philosophies have crept their way into the church. Uh, the sacraments, likewise, have, have by no means been administered faithfully uh, throughout the, the ages. 
Uh, in the early church, there were congregations that practiced infant baptism, some that practiced end, uh, uh, adult baptism, some that practiced end-of-life baptism, where uh, members, in spite of the preaching, waited for their baptism to, to the very last moments of their life because they believed that uh, any sin thereafter might render the baptism uh, null and void. Uh, the Preachers preached against that, but these practices sadly uh, remained for much of the church's history. Uh, Likewise, uh, in in medieval uh, history, the the Western church for a long season offered only bread uh, and no wine. Uh, But this reality does not mean that the church ceased to exist. It means the church ceased to be faithful. It ceased to do what Christ commanded. uh, we, we remember, as we saw last week, that we confess a Catholic church, uh, that, that from the beginning of the human race to its end, uh, or the beginning of the world to its end, Christ has been gathering, defending, and preserving his church, despite many uh, weaknesses. Uh, we see this very clearly in Scripture as well. Uh, we read together earlier from the beginning of Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, uh, which was, by all accounts, the Las Vegas of the Christian church. Uh, virtually every problem imaginable could be found in, in the Corinthian church. The preaching was infected by divisions and quarrels, some saying, I follow Paul, others saying, I follow Apollos. Uh, church discipline was not being practiced. There were people living in outright uh, immorality of the sort that even would make pagans blush, Paul says. <laughs> One man is living with his, his mother uh, or his stepmother. Uh, There were members that were filing lawsuits against one another. Uh, The sacraments, likewise, were tarnished. The Lord's Supper was not being done in accordance with Christ's institution. The the rich were stuffing themselves and even getting drunk, leaving the poor hungry, to the degree that Paul even says, this thing you're practicing is not even the Lord's Supper uh, anymore. Uh, The worship services were in disorder. Members were speaking in tongues in the middle of the worship service, each one louder than the next, each desiring to hear uh, their own voice instead of the Word of God. And that's just a handful of the problems in the Corinthian church. And yet, how does Paul address them in the beginning of his letter? He says, uh, Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. That's amazing. It's it's almost even shocking that Paul would address that sort of congregation with the title church and saints. Uh, They they fell far short of every one of these three marks. Uh, And yet, Paul still calls them a church and even saints. Uh, And this is because even though that church fell short of those marks, yet the Word of God was still there. Yet the the sacraments were still uh, not altogether repudiated. And most importantly, the Spirit of Christ was still there, had still sanctified them despite all of their weaknesses. Uh, The Apostle Paul was still able to discern the Spirit of Christ present in that uh, group of believers in spite of their many doctrinal, sacramental, and personal shortcomings. And this is no exception either. We think of the Galatian church, for example, to whom Paul has to say, 
in Galatians 1, verse 6, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ and are now turning to a different gospel. And yet that church too, uh, though they certainly would have lost their identity had they continued in that direction, uh, yet despite those present errors, uh, he addresses them as a church and as saints. And we might think as well of the churches that, that uh, the Lord Jesus writes to in the first chapters of Revelation. Uh, some of them, of course, were persevering well, and they receive a commendation from uh, the Lord Jesus, but others were not, and yet they're all still addressed as churches. Now, to be sure, the Lord Jesus warns them. Uh, He warns them, for example, in one case, repent or I will take away your lampstand. You will cease to be a light on the hill, uh, in other words. Uh, There is a warning there, a persistence in error and a persistence in unbelief can ultimately lead to a church losing its identity and the Spirit going elsewhere. Uh, And yet we can see that Christ regards His church with great charity, uh, with great tenderness, in spite of many imperfections. And He teaches us to do the same. Uh, Wherever believers are gathered in Christ's name and Christ's Spirit is among them, there is the church, even if beset with many weaknesses and shortcomings. Uh, So when we speak of the marks of the church, we speak of what the church ought to be, uh, and by God's grace surely is, but certainly not what the church is in perfection. Uh, And we are not suggesting that anything that falls short of those marks thereby ceases to be a true church. Uh, Scripture doesn't teach that. The Reformers uh, never taught that, and our confessions also do not teach that. Uh, and to say that is not to, to coddle or to tolerate even the slightest error. Theology has consequences, and bad theology has weighty uh, consequences. Uh, we are always to be reforming according to the word of Christ, uh, growing, as Paul prays for, for the churches, growing in maturity, growing in wisdom and understanding of the word of Christ. And that being said, when, uh, when it comes to the point where a church ceases to bear these marks altogether, when the word of Christ is no longer preached, when the sacraments are no longer observed or are distorted uh, by error or superstition so as to totally lose their meaning, uh, and where, the ch- where church discipline is no longer practiced at all, uh, and sin is tolerated or even celebrated in the church, then we, we, we do come to a point where we must conclude that body, whatever it calls itself, uh, is not the church of Christ. This is why our confessions also speak of the marks of the false church. Uh, This is something Scripture also speaks of. It it may uh, rub against our our, our culture's uh, feelings. Uh, We we don't like to be exclusive, but that's how Scripture speaks. Uh, There are groups that call themselves the church that are not the church, that lack the evidence of having the Spirit of Christ, and they practice the very things that Christ opposes. Uh, The false church then, uh, as the confession explains, uh, assigns more authority to itself than to the Word of God. It ignores or twists the Word to suit its own interests. Uh, it, It refuses to submit to the yoke of Christ. It doesn't administer the sacraments as Christ commanded, but either adds to them or subtracts from them, uh, and and so distorts 
their very meaning. Uh, And even more are confessions as it persecutes and maligns those who live holy lives according to God's word. Now, the false church has been in existence just as long, uh, or at least almost just as long, as the true church. Uh, Wherever God creates, Satan counterfeits. Uh, And we see this in history. We think again of that group in 1 John, those schismatics that left the church and called themselves uh, the true church. uh, And they maligned those who remained behind. Uh, We think of the Arian churches in the early centuries of the Christian church, those that denied the divinity of Christ. uh, And they persecuted uh, and often exiled, or at least uh, in many cases maligned, those who continued to teach that Jesus was truly and fully God. Uh, And our our confession as well was written during the time of the Reformation, uh, when the Roman Catholic Church was an empty shell, a dead institution uh, of that which once was the church, uh, and bore all of those marks, hunted, persecuted, hunted down, held on trial, burned at the stake, uh, those who held the true Christian faith. Uh, Of such a church, it cannot be said any longer that they are a true church. Uh, They are a false church. They are a counterfeit of Satan. That's not to say that there cannot be true Christians left in such a place, left in that empty shell. Uh, But it is to say that that gathering cannot be considered the church of Christ in any biblical sense. And therefore, Christ calls uh, whoever of his sheep are left there to leave that place uh, and go to his church where the word is preached, where the sacraments are faithfully administered, and where his servants labor for the purity of the church. Uh, So then, Scripture teaches us what we are to look for when looking for uh, the universal church as locally embodied. Uh, Look for Christ's Spirit. And how will you find Him? By listening for the voice of the shepherd, uh, by, by, by observing the use of the sacraments, and by observing the practice of discipline. There you find the Spirit. There you find the church. I want to conclude with a couple words of application then. Uh, First of all, if there are any guests uh, worshiping among us, we delight to have you. We're uh, happy to to, uh, receive guests into our midst. Uh, If there are any guests among us who are Christians but not members of any Christian church, Christ's word to you is this, find a faithful church. Uh, That is, again, the Christian's first instinct. Find a faithful church. Don't be content to be a member of the so-called invisible church. Find a faithful church on earth. Join it. Be a part of it. Uh, You you will not serve Christ uh, by serving an invisible church. You serve Christ as you serve your brothers and sisters who also belong to Christ in the local visible church. Uh, you, you, You can't lay your life down for an invisible church. You're called to do that for the local visible church. As well to uh, the young people among us, uh, particularly those who have not yet made profession of faith and uh, who are nearing uh, that, that uh, age where, where you've finished the catechism instruction, uh, sometimes it happens that young people will delay their profession of faith because they, they, they don't want to commit to a local church, or at least uh, they're not sure uh, whether they do. Uh, one of the reasons oftentimes for that is, is there's a fear of a loss of freedom. 
we, we, we love our freedom in this culture. It's a cultural thing. that We don't want to give up our freedom uh, in any way. We want the freedom to go here one day and somewhere else the next. Uh, and it's true. Uh, committing yourself to the local church as locally embodied uh, does involve a loss of freedom. Uh, it doesn't mean, of course, you're promising to only be in this congregation for the rest of your life, but it does mean that this is where you'll be as long as Christ has placed you here. And this is where you will be committed to the life and the health and the well-being of this congregation. Likewise, you'll be submitting to the leadership of this congregation for your life, health, and well-being. That does involve a certain loss of freedom, but that is the case with any uh, commitment, uh, whether it's marriage or career or family. There's, there's always a, a choice that's made, a loss of, of freedom, but it's precisely in that commitment that you find Christ's calling for you, Christ's purpose uh, for you. Uh, again, just as in, in marriage or in family, uh, it is commitment that is the very engine that makes the thing work. It's commitment to your local church, to Christ's church, where it's locally embodied, that makes you a fruitful servant in that church. And that's what you were called for. You weren't called to float around, uh, uncommitted and therefore ineffective. You were called to lay your life down for the sheep. Uh, and, and there is the calling to all of us here in the church. This is where Christ has placed us, and so let us all lay our lives down in service to one another uh, for this Christ's local church. Uh, Be there for one another. Serve one another. Don't be uh, content to merely be a member, but not active, not participating. Uh, Be part of the action. Uh, Serve, uh, and be willing also to be served. Uh, and the, the scriptures are replete with exhortations to, to encourage, to admonish, to bless, to comfort, uh, as well as, of course, to, to receive all those same things from your brothers and sisters here. Uh, so this is Christ's church. Help it to be, to live as Christ's church in every way. And, and then finally, also pray. Pray for Christ's church here. Uh, because for all of this church's imperfections, I've heard we may have a few, it's possible. Uh, for all of our imperfections, we are Christ's church. Uh, we, God, uh, Christ loves his church here. Uh, Christ has bought his brothers and sisters here. Uh, just as Christ has bought each one of you, Christ has also bought your brothers and sisters. Uh, so love them with the love that Christ also has for them. Uh, Paul says in Ephesians 5, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Now, if that's Christ's purpose for his church, as well as this local uh, embodiment of that church, uh, then may that also be our hope, our purpose uh, for our own congregation, that we might be holy without spot or blemish. Uh, so be a part of Christ's sanctifying work. If that's what Christ is doing, be a part of it in one another's lives uh, 
so that with, with one another's help and with the Spirit's blessing, we might more and more actually reach that, that holy and without blemish that Christ is calling us to. Amen.